0: Amen. All right. Good morning, Orchardville Church. Good morning. It's always good to be back together with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, Open your Bibles or your digital device, whichever one you've got, to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to wind up there today. It'll take us a little while to get there, but that's where we're going to wind up, and that's the the scripture that I want to make sure that uh, you have... Ready reference to. Today is week four of our series on CEO faith. And uh, as we begin to dive into that message this morning, let's, let's just do a quick recap of the main two sort of mindsets that we're looking to a, a address and get an understanding about who we are in relation to these things, all right? So, everybody together, church, what? does every shareholder ask? All right. We need more coffee. We need more enthusiasm. We need more something. All right. But that just did not cut it. All right. What does every shareholder ask? Right. That is exactly how every shareholder approaches every situation is how am I benefiting from this? What's in this for me? How do I wind up better off personally because of this situation? A CEO, on the other hand, has a completely different question and mindset. What question does every CEO ask? I exactly. All right. So a shareholder is: what's what's in it for me? And a CEO is really thinking, what's in it for you? What's, what's in it for the other person? How can I make this better for you or another person or somebody else? How can I make it better? Well, when we started this three weeks ago, we sort of shared a bunch of stock charts with you and, uh, and sort of gave you an idea of what it looks like sometimes when a company starts from scratch. Sometimes it explodes and sometimes it implodes. It just goes it, you know, digs a deep hole and it crawls in there and it never gets out. Well, we talked about how the day of Pentecost was basically the church's IPO, is their initial public offering to the world. And it exploded. It took off like a rocket ship. And what was really cool about three three weeks ago when we did this, it happened to be Pentecost Sunday. And so two, roughly 2,000 years ago on that very Sunday, the church made its initial public offering to the world. Now, if you look at the Google stock, you remember that stock chart, right? It was like like this, this, up and up, up and up and up and up and up. It just kept getting better and better and better. There was another stock chart that we showed you that went up a little bit and then it just nosedived. And when things are going up, everybody wants to be a part of that. But when it starts going down, like, whoa, put on the brakes, let me jump ship. Well, when the church came out of the gates with its initial public offering, it was a Google stock chart. It was rising rapidly, and everybody was jumping on board. It was a great time to be a part of the church. But about 100 years later, it wasn't so great anymore. See, because as Christianity began to spread through the Roman Empire... They actually began to be persecuted. They were fed to lions in the Colosseum for sport. They were set on fire as human candles and torches. It was not a good time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, a person with a typical me-centered shareholder mindset, when the church value starts going down and it's not so good for me anymore... I'm bailing, I'm finding another thing to invest my time and energy in. But that's not what happened, is it? Not to the church. See, the church continued to thrive in spite of intense persecution. When most things would, would cause people under those circumstances to run for the hills, people were still coming to Christ. Why? Because the apostles in ens- Stilled a CEO mindset in those early Christians that this is not about what's in it for you. Yes, you will benefit, but it's about how can you share that benefit with someone else? How can you make it better for someone else? And all of those early Christians were committed to their faith regardless of what happened. And that is exactly why you and I sit here this morning enabled to enjoy the message of the gospel because those early believers would not bail under difficult circumstances. Now for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how do you live that out? How do you live out a CEO faith? So let me remind you what those last couple of things were. We talked about constantly evaluating opportunities because a good CEO is going, how do I make it better? What can I take advantage of to make our company, our offering, our situation better? And I encouraged us as followers of Jesus Christ to not look at risk as chances to fail, but as opportunities to succeed for Christ. You might be familiar with a passage of Scripture that says if God is for us, then what? If God is for us, church, who can be against us? Do you understand what that says? You got God in your corner, that's all you need. I remember a story of David's good friend, Jonathan, when they were getting ready to fight the Philistines and he took his armor bearer and they decided to climb a cliff and there was several hundred people uh, of the Philistines up at the top of the cliff and it was just him and his armor bearer and he said, you know what? Maybe God will deliver them to us. Let's take a risk. And they climbed a cliff and they killed every one of them. Why? Because if God is for us, then what? Who can be against us? So too many times as Christians in America today, we've been trained to look at risk as, man, I don't want to fail. But God says, hey, if this risk is for me and you're following my lead, there is no such thing as failure in following Jesus. So we got to see it as an opportunity to, to succeed rather than a chance to fail. And then last week we talked about every good CEO needs to understand how to cover every offense. Because every organization, every mission is going to have conflict. Why? Because it's full of people. There's never been two people in their life that walked all the way through life without some disagreement. Motion... I don't know if you know this, but motion causes some friction, does it not? When things are in motion, there is friction. That's why we put oil in our engines. Because motion creates friction and heat, and things start to rub against each other. And if you don't find a way to lubricate that, you're going to seize an engine up, and you're going to destroy the vehicle. And when you have a group of people gathered together in motion, there's going to be friction. We call that conflict. And God has given us methods to address that conflict, not to pretend that it doesn't exist. It exists, church. You're not going to get away from it. But God gives us methods and ways to deal with the conflict so that our mission, the engine of our mission doesn't seize up and we get stalled on the side of the road while we're trying to accomplish God's grand mission. So we need to learn how to cover every offense. So today, I'm going to go back to the business idea analogy just a little bit. And I'm going to tell you a story of a couple of different companies, and uh, I'll see if you can kind of figure out who they are, and then I'll I'll tell you in case you don't. All right, so the first company uh, was started in about 500 square feet, and uh, that's smaller than this stage, so not a whole lot of space. And it was a dude who was 28 years old, and he was selling books door to door. and, And I mean, in case you don't know, that actually used to happen. That was a thing. People sold stuff door to door. And this guy was selling uh, books door to door. And uh, if you've ever done, has anybody ever tried to sell anything door to door? I have actually. That's a challenge. And uh, so he realized that he was inter, you know, re, in, uh, encountering some resistance. And so he tried to figure out how can, how can I incentivize somebody buying my books? And uh, so he came up with the idea of uh, giving away little perfume bottles if they would buy the books. And uh, so that's company number one. Company number two started a little bit after that. And uh, it was started with this really bizarre idea of just taking blocks of wood, just chunks of wood, and sticking them in strategic places on steam engines and, uh, you know, seeing if that made things better. All right, so let's see if you have any ideas who I'm talking about. So company number one, any any guesses as to what that company was? Avon, Avon. it was Avon. Avon started with a guy selling books door to door. And when the books didn't sell so good, he started giving away uh, perfume and then that took off like a rocket. The second company, anybody guess who that one is? That was Caterpillar. Caterpillar started by just trying to put wood blocks, chunks of wood, on steam engines to help them get traction. And so today, Avon is in over 100 countries. They do over $6 billion worth of business annually. And it all started with about 500 square feet and a guy knocking on doors. Caterpillar started with a weird idea, but now is worth over $77 billion and is the world's largest manufacturer of construction and mining equipment. And it's right here in our state of of Illinois. And so when, when you think back, when you look at where they are today, it's impressive. But when you think back to where they were, it didn't look like much. I got to think that they had some naysayers, right? You know, this guy's got 500 square feet and he's trying to sell books and give away perfume. There had to be some people going, dude, you've lost your mind. What are you doing? Find something else. There are always some people that say, this is never, ever going to work. And I am convinced that they had more than their share, saying that they would never amount to anything. And I would be willing to bet that there were plenty of people on the sidelines around the early church that said the same thing about the church. This is never going to amount to anything. I mean, think about how the church started. Okay, so first of all, its leader is a guy who says he's God in human form. Now, if he is, in fact, God in human form, you would think that if he wants to start a worldwide movement, that he would pick 12 guys who maybe had a little more education and a little more pull in the the country. Wouldn't you think? I'm like, man, if I want to start something that's going to change the world, I want to start with the best people that I can possibly get. But instead, He starts with 12 men with pretty iffy qualifications at best. And then on top of that, he gets himself killed in public on a cross, which was the ultimate in humiliation. Now, I don't know what you think, and I don't know how you see that, but under normal circumstances, I would not call that a formula for world domination. But the church, 2,000 years later, is still impacting and changing the world in spite of those difficult, small beginnings. That's why the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, despise not small beginnings. Why? Because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin because it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for God. It's an opportunity for the kingdom. Some people see it as a chance to fail. God says, see it as an opportunity to succeed. Despise not small beginnings. The church did not look like a promising endeavor coming out of the gate, but it has changed the world. And to that Uh, same line of thinking avon and caterpillar have had global impact even though they started in very small and humble beginnings now i know that they had naysayers but here's here's the difference between somebody with a ceo mindset and somebody with a shareholder mindset Because if somebody has a shareholder mindset, they may have a good idea and they may wanna pursue it and then when people around them start going, that's never gonna work. How many of you have ever had an idea and somebody said, that's not gonna work? Raise your hand. Don't you love that? Don't don't you love the balloon poppers in your life? It's like, you know what I need? I need more balloon poppers. Poop, poop, poop. That's never gonna work. That is never gonna fly. And you go, oh, man. It is so demoralizing. And you know what shareholders do? When people have that mindset, they have this great idea, and then somebody says that's never going to work, and they say, oh, you know what, you're right. You think the guy who invented pet rocks, you think some people told him that's never going (laughs) to work? Really, pet rocks, really? You think that's going to work? I could make... People buy these rocks as pets. It worked. It worked. Why? Because he had a CEO mindset. And the people who started Caterpillar and Avon, they had a CEO mindset. I don't care what anybody else says. I have a vision for what this thing can become. I don't care how little we are. I don't care how incomprehensible this may look to you right now. I have a vision for what we can do. And the same is true of the church. See, those early apostles and disciples, they had a compelling vision of what Jesus had instilled in them. And in spite of the obstacles, in spite of what naysayers may may say to them, uh, off, off on the side, they said, we will not be deterred. Do you know that every one of them was killed Every single apostle was killed. They had difficult, challenging, hard lives in many cases. And they did not quit. Why? Because they knew that the vision that Jesus had instilled in them was worth whatever they had to do to make it better for someone else. Because they had to share the gospel. They just... Had to, but one of the things that the people who started Avon and Caterpillar and the guys who started the church, the apostles who along with Jesus branched out from Jerusalem, one thing they understood is vision is huge, but you can't accomplish vision without teamwork. I don't care how good you are this morning. I don't care how many skills you've got. I don't care how good your gifts are and your talents are. If you you don't have a team to get together with you and, and work with you to accomplish the vision, it's never gonna happen. It will not happen. So you have to find a way to inspire some other people to join you and share that vision. That's teamwork, and that's why this morning our idea of CEO faith is cooperating on every occasion because teamwork becomes a necessary component of the kind of faith that God calls us to. Now, let me swing back to the business world for just a second. There's a guy by the name of uh, uh, Mike Jakudit. And uh, he is a business leader who has led several businesses to multi-billion dollar uh, expansions and growth. The dude is, is incredibly gifted in the business world. And he's had an interesting observation about uh, businesses in general. He says this. He says, if there is one element, one element of business that I could change for any company that I talk to to help them achieve their goals... If there's one area of their company that I could improve, it would be teamwork. Really? Teamwork? You think about all of the things that a business leader could say that might be the key to making a a, a company better, teamwork is probably not in your top five list. But he says, if there was just one thing that I could improve to make the company succeed, it would be teamwork. There's a, a business author by the name of Patrick Lincone and uh, he's written multiple bestsellers uh, in, in the business world and he's got a couple of really fascinating quotes on this. I'm gonna read them to you, they're up on the screen. He says, not finance, not strategy, it's not technology, it's none of those things. It's not how much money you've got, it's not how smart you are and your strategy is, it's not technology, it's teamwork that remains the ultimate competitive advantage both because it's so powerful and because it is so what? Rare. Does that scare you a little bit to think how rare teamwork is? Here's one of the best-selling business authors in the entire world, and he says that teamwork is so powerful because it is so rare. It's hard to find a group of people that are willing to set aside differences to accomplish a mission. He also says if you could get all the people in a company rowing in the same direction, you could dominate any industry in any market, that means anywhere in the world, against any competition at any time. Does that not blow your mind? Of all of the things that you think that a business guy might say that we really need to master, teamwork is probably not the one that you think is at the top of the list. And yet he's saying, if I can get a company uh, to get everybody on the same page moving in the same direction, I don't care what industry they're in, I don't care where they're at, they can dominate anybody at any point in time because teamwork is powerful because it is so powerful. So when you get a bunch of people on the same page, you can move mountains. You can change things when you get people on the same page. Now you may think, well, teamwork is, you know, that sounds all businessy. You know, and you know, we're at church and I appreciate the business insight, but you know, what about the Bible? Well, can I just tell you that all truth ultimately finds its its roots in God. Because God is truth. Is he not? <laughs> Satan is a liar and there is no truth in him, but all truth is ultimately grounded in God. And I would tell you this morning that the smartest businessman in the world never got his idea on his own. He never made it up from scratch. If it works and it's true, it's because God made it true. And the Bible actually teaches us and shows us the importance of teamwork thousands of years before Patrick Lincone ever wrote those words there are over 40 references to one another in the new testament and just as a reminder the guys who wrote those references to one another they're the ones who were mostly responsible for spreading the gospel and growing the church in the first century And their letters are full of references to the concept of team. So I'm going to put a couple of these up on the screen for you. Just so that you start to understand how important teamwork is within the context of Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 5 from the New Living Translation says, So it is with Christ's body. And by the way, is that not a great reference? Christ's body. That is the ultimate picture of the need for teamwork. Right? Why do I say that? Because if a part of your body is not working like it's supposed to, what do we call that? What do we call it? We call it disease. When a part of your body is not working like it's supposed to, it's diseased or it's malfunctioned. And your whole body is thrown off because your body as a whole is not working like it's supposed to. And so the the apostle uses that that it's with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body. We're all parts of his one body. You know what that means? We're in it together, right? We're in this together. And each of us has different work to do. The work that I do with my hands is not the same work that I do with my feet. Thank goodness, I don't wanna walk on my hands. That would just not be cool. Cool. I don't want to try to draw with my feet that would be terrible. The parts of our body have different work to do, but we're all working together as a team within the context of our body. And Paul says the same thing is true with the church because we're all part of one body and we have to look work together. We belong to each other and each of us needs the other. Now, let me let me just Give you a quick example here. All right. Um, I don't think I know you yet. Ryan, Ryan? good to see you. Ryan, stand up so everybody can see you. All right. This is Ryan. Ryan and I have been friends for about two seconds now, which is really cool. All right. Whoever is in the last seat all the way back in the back corner, would you stand up? Far back corner. All right. What's your name, brother? Trent. Trent? Okay. Do y'all know each other? Not very well. Okay. So they don't know each other very well. Am I surprised by that? Not really. There's almost 500 people here. But you know what? Y'all are on the same team. You're part of the same body. You're, You're building something together even though you don't know each other very well. You know why? Because God says that for to accomplish his mission, he has put us all in the same body with the same head. The same head is Jesus Christ, right? Christ is the head of the body. He's the head of the church and we are his members. We go out into the world to accomplish his mission. He went back to heaven and left us here to do the work. But the only way that work gets done is when we understand we're in it together. And you and him may have a lot of things that are not in common. You may not see eye to eye on a lot of things. Who knows? <laughs> in fact, you can't even see eye to eye. <laughs> Trent's just a shadow back there. But here's what I know. When we're giving ourselves to the mission of Jesus Christ, that is where we can share the same mindset. And everything else Other than that, in the context of the work of God is secondary church. We're in this together, all right? That's that's what Paul says about teamwork. There's a lot of people in this church that you probably have no idea who they are. You don't know what they like. You don't know what they don't like. But it doesn't matter because at the cross, we are all equal and we are all in this together. Then he says in Ephesians, therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of what? One another. We're in this together, church. We need teamwork because it doesn't work any other way. Peter said in 1 Peter 3.8, he said, finally, all of you be of one what? Mind. Mind. How can you be of one mind when you don't even know each other? We can be of one mind because we share the mind of Christ. Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in what? Christ Jesus. We share the mind of Christ. How can we possibly all have one mind when we barely know each other? We can have one mind because we follow and serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we have given our lives and our efforts and our our gifts and our talents to Jesus Christ. And that's what matters. So he says, have compassion for one another, love as brothers, be in this together, be tenderhearted and curious. Uh, Courteous, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're probably curious why I said that. (laughs) Just seeing if you're paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) So you think, okay, that's all well and good. I mean, you know, the Bible talks about teamwork. That's cool. Business leaders talk about teamwork, that's cool. What does that mean? I mean, what does that mean to me? What do I do with that? Well, let me give you a working definition of team. Team is a group organized to work together. It's a very simple idea. Team is a group of people organized to work together. Hear me on this. God wants his church to act in unison as part of the same body with teamwork, cooperating on every occasion in order to achieve life-changing results. And I would tell you this morning, church, that none of those results in the business world that you go work Monday through Friday to accomplish, praise God you've got a job, Always do your best. The Bible says, whatever you do, do it with all that you've got to the glory of God, but none of those results will ever be as important as the results that we achieve in the mission of God. Ever. You want purpose to your life? You want meaning to your life? There it is right there. Nothing that you will ever do will ever have as much meaning and value as what you contribute to the mission of of God. And I want you to think of team in this way this morning. Together, everyone achieves more. Now, some of you may have had that idea before. Some of you may have seen that before. Some of you might, I have never thought of team that way. But here's, that's, that's the whole purpose of team, right? Because for any one of us, if we try to go out and serve the Lord and accomplish his mission on our own, we'll get this far But if we do it in partnership with brothers and sisters who have our back and we've got theirs, we'll go this far. And we have to stop trying to bring the American culture, which is I am self-sufficient and I can do everything by myself. I don't need anybody else. I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. We need to stop bringing that way of thinking to our faith. Because our faith is about what we can do together, not what we can do by ourselves. So together, everyone achieves more. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 from the New Living Translation, the writer of Hebrews says this, think of ways to encourage one another. Now, just stop and and give that some consideration for a second. Think of ways. You You know what that's saying? Be intentional about this. Right? Think of ways. Don't let it just sort of happen. Be actively involved. Have a CEO mindset. How can I make it what? Better. Think of ways to encourage one another to outburst of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing. Near. You know what he's saying? It's not just coming to church to check the box and say, well, I went to church because I'm supposed to go to church. No, he saying, don't neglect coming together. Why? Because we need each other. We get out there and we think we got this on your own. No, you don't. Like, well, I can worship God without you, without the church. I can just go hang out in the woods and worship God. Well, you might be able to, but you won't be effective for God. You will not accomplish much for God. You ought to come together to work together to achieve more because we're part of the same body. It's got to work together or it's called disease. And when there's disease, we go to a doctor to fix it, don't we? God says, bring it into the church. Let's get it fixed because we got to learn how to make all of this work together. So it sort of makes you wonder and ask the question, what is it that God wants us to work together to achieve here? What is it that he wants us to achieve here? Well, I may be, I may be new here, but let me give you just a few ideas this morning of what I think God wants to, to do here at Orchardville Church. Just think for just a second about where we are right now. Right behind me, beginning this afternoon, we're gonna see all kinds of kids show up for children's uh, camp. And why is that? Because we have, God has given, uh, this church has given us one of the most unique, amazing pieces of property in Southern Illinois. This is a beautiful, incredible piece of property. And those who have been here for a long time and those who have come before us and before me, They had a vision for what God could do. And so beginning today, there will be kids that are back there that are being exposed to the pull of God in their life to pull them away from the world and to the things of God. And after that, there'll be junior hires and high schoolers that'll show up to do the same thing. And I will tell you from my own experience, one of the greatest times in all of the year is when children and teenagers and preteens can get a separated from the rest of the world and all that stuff that's going on out there and get focused on the things of God. Life can change right then. And I am excited to be a part of a church that has that opportunity. And church, that is one of the most beautifully well-done pieces of property and setups that I've ever seen for a church camp. It is absolutely fantastically done. And not only should we not take that for granted, we ought to be praying God, how can we expand that? How can we grow that? How can we reach more kids and more teens? And more men and more women and more marriages that are struggling to keep it together by using this facility that God has got back there in church. I believe that God is not only going to allow it, he's going to make it happen. We're going to find a way (laughs) to make that vision happen back there. Lives are going to get changed right outside back there. And we can be a part of that. I can see people driving up every Sunday morning. And I know they've been doing this for years now. They, they walk through those doors and they're greeted with, with love and welcome arms. Say, we're glad you're here. But let me take that a step further. I can see people driving up on the property out there and having people out in the parking lot. You remember a couple of weeks ago, the kids were out there with signs. Was that not cool? Something about that just warms your heart. And I can see that more being a part of our regular week where people are not only waiting at the door, but they're out in the parking lot. And when somebody gets out of their car door and they open it, they know they're somewhere different where the Holy Spirit is already there. And when they walk through the door, you remember on the first Sunday I was here, I said that, you know, joy is not a thing that most people associate with church, but it ought to be. I think that when people start coming through the doors, they're going to start feeling and sensing genuinely the joy of God. And there's going to be people around this whole Southern Illinois area that get up on a Sunday morning and say, you know what? I can't wait to go to Orchardville church so I can get a big old fresh helping of OJ. And that ain't orange juice, that's Orchardville joy. Amen. I got to get a big old fresh helping of OJ. Because there is no better place than the place of God when God's people are excited about what God is doing. And when those families show up and they take their kids back into the children's area, they will see a children's ministry that is loving their kids like nobody else has ever loved them. And it's in a fresh, exciting environment. If you, by the way, if you have not gone back there and looked at what Erica and the rest of those children's ministry team has done, you gotta go back there and look. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And so they'll be able to drop their kids off and be, feel good about it. Do you know that parents today, they're scared to death to drop their children off most places? Because they don't know what's going to happen to their kids. And when they know that they can put their children in the hands of somebody who's going to love their kids, then they can come here and the walls go down and the Holy Spirit can begin to speak to them without barriers. And as they begin to hear the word of God, they're going to start to know that this Bible that was written thousands of years ago is still just as relevant today as it was the day it was written. It is not an out-of-date, old-fashioned book. It is still speaking today and is speaking right to them. I believe that Orchardville Church and the part that God wants us to accomplish here is to impact churches around the world. And that is not only because we support missionaries, but because we are sending out our own people to go minister and be the hands and feet of Jesus in mission endeavors around the world, in cultures that we are not familiar with. In fact, Dylan, where are you? Where's Dylan? Come here, Dylan. Probably many of you are aware of this, but I don't know if everybody is. Dylan is going to be leaving to do some mission work. It is exciting and it is frightening and scary at the same time. I'm sure mom is thrilled and scared at the same time. Rhonda, where are you? Thrilled and scared? But if God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to ask uh, my deacons right now, deacons right now, quickly, wherever you are, I'm going to come and pray over this young man. God is calling us to impact the world. It's not just about Orchardville. It's not just about southern Illinois. It's about the world. And we're getting ready to see this young man go out into a dangerous environment to represent the calling of Christ. Because he sees a risk as an opportunity. So Father, we commend Dylan into your hands. And we pray that you will protect him, God, from any evil and any harm. But that, Lord, your light will shine not only in him but through him. That people will see Jesus in him. That they won't even quite understand what they're seeing. But they'll know that something is different. God, will you let him shine the light of Jesus everywhere he goes? Lord, will you open up doors that nobody else can open? Will you go before him and prepare the way? Will you walk beside him in every step? God, will you give Rhonda comfort while he's gone knowing that your hand is constantly with him? Lord, help us as a church to lift this young man up in prayer and to pray that God will supernaturally Save people because of his willingness to see risk as an opportunity. God, go with him, go before him, and bring him back with great rejoicing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 as we do these things, and as we reach people not only here but around the world, I absolutely positively believe that in eternity there's going to be people that are walking up to the members of this congregation that will say, you don't know me, but thank you. Thank you for having the courage of your convictions. Thank you for serving in the way that you served. Thank you for giving the way that you gave. Thank you for believing the way that you believed. Thank you. And we will celebrate that through all eternity. That's where we're going, church. That's the mission that God has called us to accomplish together, to cooperate together to see that happen. That's the picture that God is painting, but it's not complete without you because he's brought you here to help paint it, to help fill in the spots that only you can fill in. So how, how can you do that? How can I take a CEO mindset to that idea? Well, CEOs are proactive. They ask, how can I make it better? How can I make it better? So look at this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 23. David is at the cave of Adullam. I want you to see what happens here. Verse 13, 2 Samuel 23. I'm reading from the New King James. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time, and they came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped at the valley of Rephaim. So it was just a, a group of soldiers, an army, a Philistine army. And David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. So the Philistines were in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So David is saying, man, I would love to have some water from that well, but the Philistines occupy Bethlehem. So it's just not going to happen. But in verse 16, three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they took it and they brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it but poured it out to the Lord, and he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. What do I want to point out from this? We usually point out what David did wow, these men took such a risk. They took a CEO mindset, right? They didn't see it as a risk, as a chance to fail. They saw it as an opportunity to succeed. And we usually focus on David going, I will not drink this. It was too much of a risk for those men. And he pours it out to God, plays God for David's humbleness. But I want to point you to the three guys that broke through And went and got water because they heard David say, man, I wish I could have a drink of that water. Here's what I would call that. I call it fanafi. Find a need and fill it. These men, they love the Lord and they love their leader. They heard a need and they said, we don't care what it cost us. We're gonna risk it all so we can go fill a need. Church, that is the mindset that God is calling us to today. He wants to say, let let me find a need and fill it. Let me find something that needs to be done. Let me find a ministry that needs to be filled. Let me find a, a mission that needs to have some contribution financially to it. Let me find somebody that needs me to pray for them, and I will find that need, and I will fill it. Think Fanafi. What can I find and fill today? Let me go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25, and I'm gonna finish with this. I'm gonna read this from the paraphrase the message. We read this just a little while ago, but now I'm gonna read it from a paraphrase. Here's what he says. So let's do it. Let's do it, Orchardville Church. Let's do it full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promise that keeps us going. He always, God always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Orchardville Church, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Together, everyone achieves more. All right, so here's what I'm gonna do right now to, to wrap this service up. We're not gonna have a, 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 the worship team come because I'm gonna make a call to every person in this church this morning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on notice. I'm gonna challenge you right here, right now. You remember before the children of Israel went into the promised land, That Joshua said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Choose today. If it's God, then let it be God. If it's another God, then let it be another God. But choose this day whom you're going to serve. God has called us on mission at Orchardville Church. And he is serious about his mission. And if he's for us, who can be against us? But we have to do it together. So I'm calling you today, church, to a CEO mindset, to a FNAFI way of thinking. I'm going to find a need and I'm going to, I don't know what it is right now, but I'm going to find a need and I'm going to fill it. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand up right now, all across the building. And I'm going to ask you to put a stake in the ground this morning. Because the business of God's kingdom and his mission is too important to mess around with. Here's what I'm going to do. If you're ready to put a stake in the ground, go, I am going to find a need and fill it. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to find one and I'm going to fill it. But I'm just going to ask everybody in the church, everybody, there's no music, just come stand right up here. I, and if we've got to fill up the aisles, we'll fill up the aisles. If you are ready this morning to say, I will find a need and fill it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's physical. I don't know if it's financial. I don't know if it's prayer. But I am going to have my mind made up that I'm gonna serve the Lord as a CEO. I'm gonna find a way to make it better. I'm gonna find a need and I'm gonna fill it in this place somehow. And I can tell you right now as I watch you all move. Is that Satan and his demons are shaking right now. They're shaking right now. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? When we're in it together, the gates of hell cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ. So Father... We conclude this service this morning with people all over this building saying, I'm going to find a need and fill it. Would you reveal those needs? Lord, we have needs all over this body, Lord, some that we are well aware of and some that we are completely unaware of, but God, would you supernaturally move through this body, through this congregation, and Lord, reveal to each one of us how we can serve, how we can contribute to make heaven more populated and hell less populated. God, may we rescue people from the very gates of eternal destruction through whatever it is that you're calling us to do. God, we give these commitments to you. We ask your blessing on them. Lord, make them holy. Consecrate them unto you right now. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's sing together. It just feels like we need to sing. Let's sing Amazing Grace. Amazing. so let's sing that last verse. When we